take your Bibles and turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We're going to take a short break from our study of John and just revisit a very familiar text this morning. This past week, I read a little article entitled, The Door of Reconciliation. I found it to be quite interesting. The writer says, inside St. Patrick's Cathedral in Dublin, Ireland, there's a door that tells a five-century-old story. In 1492, two families, the Butlers and the Fitzgeralds, began fighting over a high-level position in the region. The fight escalated, and the butlers took refuge in the cathedral. When the Fitzgeralds came to ask for a truce, the butlers were afraid to open the door. So the Fitzgeralds cut a hole in the door, and their leader offered his hand in peace. The two families then reconciled, and adversaries became friends. Well, we catch a a glimpse of that a little bit. In our text for today, but on a far grander scale. And so I want you to follow what it says here in 2 Corinthians 5, beginning with verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. Now all these things are from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, namely that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. May God add his blessing to the reading of that portion of Scripture. In the context of this passage, Paul was sharing about the new covenant ministry that he was called to proclaim. In fact, it goes back a couple of chapters. An aspect of this is reconciliation, which we just read about in these verses. The word is mentioned there, if you didn't pick up on it, five times. And simply means a change or an exchange, often in regard to money. The apostle used it in regards to people before God to speak of a change in status or a change in position. From one of enmity or alienation to that of forgiveness, restoration, peace. We saw this in our scripture reading this morning in Colossians 1, didn't we? But there are some wonderful illustrations of this in scripture. One of them is found in Luke 15, which we're going to consider here a little bit later. But also we find one in the epistle of Philemon. I don't know how many of you have ever taken the time to maybe study Philemon. I would encourage you this week to do such. Because what you have there is Paul sort of acting as an intermediary between Onesimus and Philemon to bring about restoration 
And it's a glorious a message that comes out of that, not only with regards to people, but with regards to our Lord. You see, beloved, these Corinthian believers needed to be reminded of what happened in their lives through the gospel. They had been reconciled. There were false teachers who were in their midst attacking Paul and getting Christians to question the message that he was bringing on this very thing. And you know, this is even happening today, all around us, all the time. But when you remember Christ's work and the change that he has wrought in your life and in your heart, it should keep you faithful to the Lord and enduring for his glory. And so this morning, I want you to consider with me three rich truths. Three rich truths regarding reconciliation, particularly from verse 21. That's the only verse that we're going to be looking at this morning. And I pray that it will help you to appreciate what you have in Christ and cause you to rejoice And give thanks as we partake of the elements this morning. And again, I would say this to you. I'm not going to share with you anything new. (laughs) Okay, these are truths which you have heard before. But it's important to be reminded because we forget so easily, don't we? And especially now as we are going to be partaking in communion. You want these truths riveting in your soul. And the first truth is seen there in the first part of verse 21. What does the Apostle Paul say? He made him who knew no sin. We'll stop right with that. What do you notice? What rich truth is seen there in the first part of verse 21? It's simply this. Reconciliation teaches us necessity in the sinlessness of Christ. It teaches us necessity in the sinlessness of Christ. That phrase, who knew no sin, really is emphasized in the Greek language. It's right there at the beginning of the verse to reveal its importance. Also, the word knew means to recognize and understand. Actually, it has an intimacy about it. In other words, right up front, the apostle makes it clear that Jesus had no acquaintance with sin. He had no relationship with it. And of course, this is confirmed in a number of other passages. I think of Isaiah 53 and verse 9, which is partially quoted in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 22 and 23, where it says this, Who committed no sin nor was any deceit found in his mouth. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. Listen to these words from 1 John 3 and verse 5. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. Now it is true that... The Bible declares regarding Jesus that he was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. He knew suffering, was tempted by Satan, but he never succumbed because he was, he is God. He's impeccable. 
Now, why is all this important? Well, on one hand, to identify and sympathize with man's weaknesses. That's what the scriptures tell us in Hebrews chapter 4, verses 15 and 16. But on the other hand, as we are talking about here in this passage, it was important so as to atone for sin. Only a sinless person could do such. I love what John the Baptist declared of Jesus in John 1, 29. He says, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. Jesus was the fulfillment of the Old Testament sacrificial lamb, the true lamb without spot or blemish, the scriptures tell us, which made for an acceptable sacrifice. And so if the atonement was to be, it had to be. It had to be through the God-man himself. It was man's sin that made the sinlessness of Christ and his work necessary. Beloved, I know that you know this. (laughs) But it's important to remember and to meditate upon it. And I mean that. Those are grand theological truths. And sometimes we can just kind of glide over it because we're so familiar with it. But don't become so familiar that you forget Remind yourself of it. You you heard Gary pray this morning that we would keep the gospel at the forefront of our hearts and minds every day because it changes us from the inside out. And so as you prepare for communion, let your heart be gripped with the truth that it was our sinless God and creator who left the realms of glory who came here to take on humanity, lived a righteous life, and then died to be our Savior. That's simply amazing. That could only be produced in the all-wise mind of our God. It is. It's, It's amazing. So reconciliation teaches us necessity in the sinlessness of Christ. The Apostle Paul said that right up front in this passage of Scripture. So important. Well, this brings us to the next truth. That's captured in the following phrase. He goes on. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf. (laughs) So we'll stop right there with that. So what is the rich truth that's found in that phrase? It's this. Reconciliation teaches us necessity in the substitution of Christ. It teaches us necessity in the substitution of Christ. Now, that phrase that we just read there does not mean that Jesus somehow became a sinner on the cross. Did you know there are some who think that? Yeah. That would contradict what we already discussed a few minutes ago, right? Yes. No, it simply means he became our sin bearer. Our sin was imputed to him. And so this demanded death. Yeah, Romans 6 and verse 23 For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God 
is ours through Christ Jesus our Lord. You see, God is holy. He must punish sin. And really, this isn't something new. Okay, this goes all the way back to Genesis, right? Chapter 2, remember when God told Adam, he says, you can eat of any tree in the garden, but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you cannot eat because if you do, you will die. Not just die physically, die spiritually. Now, we know that Adam and Eve did not listen because when you get into Genesis 3, it makes it very clear that they disobeyed. They died spiritually. They began then to die physically. And every person since then has been born with a nature to sin and thus is separated from God and dying. Romans 5.12 For as by one man sin entered the world and death by sin. So death passed upon all men for that all have sinned. That's the bad news, okay? But there's good news, right? Because we're talking about substitution here. God in his grace and love sent his son to take man's place and to satisfy God's wrath upon sin. Think about that. He came to satisfy God's wrath upon sin. We were under God's wrath. 1 John 4.10 says this, not that we love God, but that he loved us. And sent his son to be the propitiation, satisfaction for our sin. He satisfied the wrath of God. He took our place. And only he could do this because he was the perfect substitute, as we read in the first part of the verse. That could not have happened otherwise. And since he rose from the dead, man can have eternal life. You know, I've said this to you before. God the Father treated God the Son like us. As though he had sinned. So that he might treat us like Jesus. As though we had never sinned. Isn't that amazing? Yeah, that's what's being drawn out of this passage. And we should be rejoicing over that, especially now as we go into communion. Chuck Swindoll shared this story about Monica from Kenya. Eight-year-old Monica broke her leg as she fell into a pit. An older woman, Mama Neary, happened along and climbed into the pit to help get Monica out. In the process, a dangerous black mamba snake bit both of them, and Monica was taken to the Kiev Medical Center and admitted. Mama Neri went home, but never awoke from her sleep. The next day, a perceptive missionary nurse explained Mama Neri's death to Monica, telling her that the snake had bitten both of them, but all of the snake's poison was expended on Mama Neri. None was given to Monica. The nurse then explained that Jesus had taken the poison of Monica's sin so that she could have new life. At that moment, she received Jesus as Savior and Lord on the spot. Yeah. That missionary took the opportunity from that tragic situation to tell 
the gospel <laughs> that can be poured out from a circumstance. May we be ready to do the very same thing. Be reminded this morning of Christ's substitution on your behalf. Reconciliation teaches us necessity in the sinlessness of Christ. It also teaches us necessity for the substitution of Christ. Well, this leads us to one other truth this morning. And I want you to look with me at the latter part of verse 21. I'm going to read the whole thing. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So what do you see here? What's another grand truth? It's simply this. Reconciliation teaches us necessity of salvation through Christ. Of salvation through Christ. That little phrase there at the end of verse 21 is a purpose clause. Meaning that the substitutionary atonement, which we just considered there, makes it possible for us to have salvation through Christ. That is deliverance from sin, from God's judgment, and given His righteousness. Another way of putting it is that our sin is imputed to Him so His righteousness may be imputed to us. It's what they call the great exchange. In fact, there are some subtitles right above verse 21 saying, The Great Exchange. (laughs) Yes. And so the work of Christ has been done in order to experience salvation. But this doesn't mean that all are saved, right? I mean, Christ has done the work. He's done everything necessary. There's nothing more for him to do. He came. He lived a righteous life. He died. He rose again. There's nothing else that he needs to do. But that does not mean that we're all saved. I mean, we don't believe in universalism, right? (laughs) Yeah. No, you must apply this work And I mean, it's a work of God's grace to your hearts. And how? Through faith in Him. You see, even the matter of faith in Christ is a work of God's grace to our hearts. Why? Because we're dead in our trespasses and sins. We need to be regenerated. That's a work of God's grace. Ephesians 2, 8, 9. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And when we... In our hearts, by God's grace, put our faith in the finished work of Christ. We become new creatures in Him, just as verse 17 declares in this passage. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. A hearty amen to that, right? Yes. And so, yes, we've been forgiven. We enjoy Fellowship. We now have peace of God. We have been reconciled. Even as Ephesians 2, 13 and 14 go on to say, the apostle says this, But now in Christ Jesus, you who were formerly far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace. You've heard me say this before. When we talk about peace with God, 
there's sort of a wall or a door of sin between us and God. But then, by God's grace, through faith, in Christ's finished work, that door is open, or that wall comes tumbling down, and we are now reconciled with Jesus. We're at peace with Him. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God. Romans 5 and verse 1. As mentioned earlier, a great illustration of this is seen in Luke 15. I want you to turn with me there for a moment. Luke 15. When you get there, you'll know why. Luke 15. I want to read verses 11 through 24. So it's a good section of scripture. It's about the prodigal son. Luke 15, beginning with verse 11. Jesus is sharing this, this parable. He said, a man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate that falls to me. So he divided his wealth between them. And not many days later, the younger son gathered everything together and went on a journey into a distant country. And there he squandered his estate with loose living. Now, when he had spent everything, a severe famine occurred in that country and he began to be impoverished. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country And he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods that the swine were eating. And no one was giving anything to him. But when he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have more than enough bread, but I am dying here with hunger. I will get up and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired men. So he got up and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion for him and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, quickly bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fatted calf, kill it and let us eat and celebrate for this son of mine was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and has been found and they began to celebrate. Isn't that wonderful? Yeah, it's a perfect picture of our reconciliation. We are delivered from the wrath of God, taken from the kingdom of darkness and placed into the kingdom of light. And now we have peace with God. And he treats us like the best, in spite of the fact that we have sinned against him. Again, let our hearts be gripped by this truth. Actually, All truths this morning. Reconciliation teaches us the necessity and the sinlessness of Christ. In the substitution of Christ. And teaches us necessity of salvation through Christ. And so this morning, if you have not been reconciled to God 
Turn from your sin like the prodigal son. Yeah. And trust Christ's work on your behalf. Just as it says in the latter part of verse 20, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Joe Stowell shared this interesting story. It's a particular interest to me because I love golf. <laughs> but he writes, I'll never forget the Easter Sunday in 1993 when Bernard Longer won the Masters Golf Tournament. As he stepped off the 18 green to receive the green jacket, one of golf's most coveted prizes, a reporter said, this must be the greatest day of your life. Without missing a beat, Longer replied, it's wonderful to win the greatest tournament in the world, but it means more to win on Easter Sunday to celebrate the resurrection of my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Never knew that of Bernard Longer, and I know him. I've watched him play golf for years. The writer goes on to say this, Longer had an opportunity to boast about himself, but instead he turned the spotlight on Jesus Christ. It's exactly what Paul was talking about when he said, We also rejoice, we boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. We've been reconciled, beloved. And the three rich truths I shared with you this morning are meant to be meditated upon, to be thought about. And never to forget, because we have this wonderful blessing in him. And so if you know that you've been reconciled, then boast about it <laughs> as longer. And embrace your calling as seen in this passage. You want to know what the application of this text is? Look with me at verses 14 and 15, right above it. For the love of Christ constro- controls us or constrains us. Having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. And he died for all, so that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. Is that in your heart? I trust that it is, because you have been reconciled. And so keep that on your heart as we partake of the elements this morning. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. And truly, it is a... Blessing to just be reminded of these simple truths, truths which we've heard over and over again. But God, we will continue to hear them because they're the gospel. And as Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of God, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And so we marvel in your work, O Lord, this morning. We boast in it. We're thankful for our reconciliation, for that great exchange where our sin was imputed to you so that your righteousness might be imputed to us. We thank you in Jesus' name.